Good afternoon. You're listening to KTOO. I'm Yvonne Cremery. Sunday at the Alaska Native Heritage Center in Anchorage, the U.S. Interior Secretary spent the day listening to Native boarding school survivors. She also helped to raise a healing totem pole made by two Haida brothers in honor of the survivors and their families. Before it went up, she joined others as they waved boughs of cedar over the pole to bless it. KNBA's Rhonda McBride reports. Interior Secretary Deb Holland told the gathering her name in Karis is Crushed Turquoise. She says her family's knowledge of their language fractured after a priest took her grandmother away at the age of eight on a train to a Catholic boarding school. There, she was punished for speaking Karis and quit using it, so it wasn't passed on. Today, Holland says she understands some of the language, but can't speak it. This is the first time in history that a United States cabinet secretary comes to the table with the same trauma that all of you have. This is the 10th stop on the secretary's road to healing tour. And as she travels across the country, she hopes to create a permanent oral history of boarding school abuse. But more important, she wants to develop programs to help survivors and their families. I want you all to know that I'm with you on this journey. I will listen, I will grieve with you, I will weep, and I will feel your pain. Many of these children were as young as five years old. Jim LaBelle was the first to share his story. He was only eight years old when the government took him away from his mother, along with his younger brother, Kermit. When LaBelle was sent to the Wrangell Institute in 1955, he was bilingual. I quickly shut down my, my Inupac side because I saw so many of my fellow uh, students beaten in so many different ways. There was the gauntlet, in which a naked child would be forced to run past a row of kids who lined up to strike them with their belts, and if they didn't hit hard enough, they would be punished too. We just didn't do it once. We did it many times, and a lot of times that drew blood on our bodies. LaBelle says the matrons used a paddle known as a cat of nine tails, which had holes that would leave blood blisters. There were also shaming tactics. When children were caught speaking their native language, they were forced to wear cone-shaped hats labeled with the word dunce. But LaBelle says that wasn't the worst of it. Matrons were sodomizing boys in their beds or in the bathrooms. We saw girls going home in the middle of the school year, uh, pregnant. And a lot of these kids are, were like 11, 12, 13 years old. LaBelle says the kids knew what was going on, but never told anyone. Dark secrets, which took a huge emotional toll. Even 20 years ago, LaBelle says people didn't see the relationship between boarding schools and trauma. That's why he began to share his story, to help people like Martha Sanunkatuck connect the dots. And a lot of trauma is is carried on from one generation to the next. And that's what happened in my family. Sanangatek says this was never talked about in her family. And yet... Some people became alcoholics. There was domestic violence in the family and not knowing how to raise your children because no one ever taught you. Grandma didn't learn how to raise children in a boarding school. 
the end of the day, hundreds of people gathered to watch a totem pole rise up in what could be the first healing totem in the nation to honor Native boarding school survivors. Alaska had 21 Native boarding schools, yet they have touched almost every Alaska Native. Jim LaBelle, who started sharing his stories at a time when they were met with skepticism, even disbelief, says the totem pole represents the power of people standing up and telling their truth. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. Vic Fisher, the last living signer of Alaska's Constitution, died a Sunday night at his Anchorage home. He was 99. Alaska Public Media's Liz Ruskin reports on Fisher's extraordinary life. Vic Fisher was born in Berlin in 1924 to a Russian mother and an American father who was a foreign correspondent. He grew up in Germany and Russia, his childhood shaped by the brutal regimes of Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin. His wife of 42 years, Jane Anvik, says Fisher believed in democratic government as a means to achieve goals and ideals, and he believed citizen participation was key. He often said, when we start thinking about them as them instead of us, when we divide ourselves along values, that's dangerous because then we think of other people as something different than us. The government is the us of us. In 1939, when the Stalinist government wouldn't let Fisher, his mother, and his brother leave the Soviet Union, his father appealed to Eleanor Roosevelt. She personally intervened to win their freedom. And so, at age 15, newly arrived in America, Fisher was invited to the White House for dinner with the president and first lady. Fisher told the story in 2015. It was the beginning of my experience with democracy and open the doors for my future in Alaska. Fisher interrupted his university studies to serve in World War II. He came to Alaska in 1950 and soon began advocating for statehood. Five years later, he recounted he was elected to help draft Alaska's constitution. Participating in the Constitutional Convention was a fabulous way of being part of democracy and state building. Angvik says Fisher was especially proud of Article 1, Section 1 of the Alaska Constitution. It echoes the U.S. Constitution on the rights of its citizens to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But Angvik says ends with something new. And then the last phrase is, and that all persons have corresponding obligations to the people and to the state. And he wrote that. And what that means is you have to be involved in your government. It's ours. It's us. In 1956, Fisher was elected to the last territorial legislature. He later said his most important work there was co-authoring the repeal of Alaska's death penalty. Which was very important to me based on my abhorrence of the power of the state to kill its citizens, as I had seen in Germany 
and in Russia. In the 1980s, he served two terms in the state Senate as a Democrat. He remained active in politics until his final months. He fiercely opposed a failed effort last year to call a constitutional convention. He also supported an unsuccessful bid to recall Republican Governor Mike Dunleavy, whose government-slashing agenda... Fisher felt, ran counter to the intent of the state constitution and the achievements of statehood. At home, his daughter Ruth Engvik Dinkins recalls him as a patient dad who attended all of her swim meets and concerts and saw to it that she became a well-rounded world traveler by age 12. There was always classical music playing in the background. Um, Dick was fluent in three languages. And he made sure that I learned how to say I love you in those three languages. Fisher is also survived by three older children from a previous marriage. Angvik says his death was a gentle transition, surrounded by friends, accompanied by a recording of Yo-Yo Ma on cello. He told me, he, was, he said, I had a great run. I, I, I had a, the best life possible. And And I am loved to the nth degree by my family and my friends. And I got to do stuff that was fun and exciting. And my kids talked to me, so golly gee, what's not to like? Engvik says her husband wasn't ailing, just tired and, at 99, ready to step away. For Alaska Public Media, I'm Liz Ruskin. And as for the weather here in Juneau, it's currently sunny with a high, with a temperature around 40 degrees. The low tonight is 21 degrees. Tomorrow through the rest of this week, expect more of the same. Temperatures between the 20s and the 40s and sunshine. For more stories, go to ktoo.org.